welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church, and it is a joy, a very merry joy, because it's Merry Christmas, to continue our series through Theology 101. And uh, if you were with us last week, we jumped over from the Westminster Shorter Catechism to the Baptist Catechism, and if you want information as to why, um, you could go and listen to that last episode. I explain it. And uh, But in short, basically the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's a Reformed Presbyterian Catechism. It's phenomenal. Uh, there's so many things that we agree with here at Redeemer Church with it and as evangelicals, um, except for their view of baptism. They believe in infant baptism, which is uh, a completely different view than the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so it would be unfair to lump them in with that. But we here... Um, at Redeemer Church believe that the Bible um, speaks most clearly to believers' baptism. And so that is that once someone professes faith and has real faith and has turned from sin and God has made him a new creature through the work of the Holy Spirit by his grace, they are then they then enter into the new covenant. Um, and so, and the conditions for entering into the new covenant or the covenant of grace is faith in Christ. And so, infants obviously do not. Um, what 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 consists of faith? Faith you have to have knowledge of Christ. Then you have to assent, agree with what Christ has done for you. So, and uh, knowledge of what God has done in Jesus Christ to save sinners. Then you agree to it. But you have to have personal trust um, in Jesus Christ for salvation. And obviously infants do not have that and cannot exert that. Um, and so those so those who should be baptized are those who are genuine believers who are a part of the new covenant, the covenant of grace by faith. Um, and so we jumped over to the Baptist Catechism and uh, now we're in the middle of talking about the ordinary means of grace. Just to go back to question 95, I believe, um, just to summarize uh, where this episode is couched in. Question 95 of the Baptist Catechism says, What are the outward and ordinary means by which Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? The answer, the outward and ordinary means by which Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances— especially the Word, which we looked at two episodes ago, and then baptism in the Lord's Supper, which we explained last episode, and prayer, So, um, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. So in the next few episodes, we're going to go through baptism, the Lord's Supper, and then the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to be done with Theology 101. So question um, 100 is, what is baptism? Answer, Baptism is a holy ordinance in which immersion in the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit signifies, it signifies, it points to our, the Christians, being joined to Christ and our sharing the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. So, baptism, it's a holy ordinance. It's instituted by Jesus, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what does this signify? Does baptism save you? No, it doesn't. Um, there's nothing special about the water that 
literally cleanses your sin. It, it, it's a sign of the new covenant, as we learned last, last episode. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs of those who belong to the new covenant. They point, they signify something. They point to something else. And baptism here, we learn, um, signifies our being joined to Christ, our union with Christ, that we share in his sufferings. Listen to Romans 6, 3 through 5. After Paul explains the doctrine of justification, um, he then goes to Romans 6, which explains our union with Christ. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the word baptizo, or baptism, it signifies a, a dying. It's it like literally, uh, if I could personify what baptism is, it would be to take someone and shove them under the water. And water in the Old Testament always had to do with judgment. Think of Noah, the waters of judgment. And so we, baptism is pointing to the fact that our old self died with Christ, goes under the water, the waters of judgment with him. We die with Christ, but then you come out and you're raised to newness of life. So there's, there's a union that we have in with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection or in yeah in his resurrection from the dead and so it signifies our joining our union with Christ and then our sharing then since we are in union with Christ just like I am in union with my wife uh, we 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 are one flesh, but we also, there's benefits to that. We share multiple things. We share a bank account. We share uh, memories. We share um, cars. We share, you know, you name it. Well, in the same way, when we are brought into union with Christ, uh, we share the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. So Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And Galatians 3.27, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's that language of not only are we in union with Christ, but now we share with Christ all the benefits of the covenant of grace, justification, adoption, sanctification, forgiveness of sins, uh, Christ's righteousness. So in, in, in a union, in a marriage, think about it this way. When, when uh, an illustration I like to use is the fact that when I got married, I had tons of debt. I had tons of student loans, right? And Caitlin, on the other hand, had tons, uh, had been saving her money. She had riches um, <laughs> um, to me at the time. It was a lot of money. And so when I... When I married Caitlin and she said I do, and we entered into that covenant relationship together, all that is mine, all of my debt became hers, and all of her riches became mine. On the same way, just as a king who is rich with righteousness and, and can lavish upon his riches upon anyone, is to marry a poor prostitute. We are the poor prostitute in this. And when we become Christ, when we uh, enter into that union with him, all that is ours, all of our filth, all of our sin becomes Christ. But he is so rich, he is so wealthy, he is so gracious that all of his righteousness, his grace, then covers our sin. And so all that is his becomes mine, becomes ours. And all that is ours becomes his. 
That is union with Christ. That is the bedrock of our assurance. That is what frees us to now live for him. That's what baptism points to. And so when you watch a baptism on a Sunday morning, or you yourself remember your baptism, or maybe you haven't been baptized, uh, you can look at your baptism and say, this is what it signifies. This is who I am in Christ. It's an amazing, I love baptism. Sorry, I'm already going too long. So that's question 100. So question 101, to whom is baptism to be administered? Do we just baptize anyone and everyone, including infants? The answer, baptism is to be administered to all those who actually profess repentance toward God, faith in, and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, and to no other. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is a repentance, there is a a receiving of Christ, a turning from sin, and then there is a baptism. Acts 8.12, But when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. And so belief, repentance, came first, and then baptism then signifies what happened in that faith, that union with Christ. Um, Acts 836, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, "Uh, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? That's after Philip uh, shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, and right after they're baptized. And so we're seeing here that the proper, those that are that baptism is to be administered to are those who profess actual faith and repentance towards God. Um, Matthew 3, 6, um, and they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their their sins. And so Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, those are just some 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 references. Mark 16, 16, I know we could get into some debate. Some of you are like, hey, isn't that a section of Mark uh, only in later transcripts and not in the earliest? Yes, you're right. Um, <laughs> but the point here that we see is that baptism is to be administered to those who actually profess repentance toward God, faith in, and obedience to our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Question 102. Are the infants of professing believers to be baptized? Answer. The infants of believers are not to be baptized because there is neither command nor example in the Holy Scriptures nor implication from them to baptize such, but baptism is made an expression of faith. Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in his baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And so what they're trying to show here is that faith is always attached to those who are baptized. And obviously children who are not understanding what's going on cannot have real faith. So why do these Reformed Presbyterians baptize their children? Well, in short, it's their view of um, the covenant of grace and the covenants in general. They would see circumcision in the Old Testament— Um, being the sign of the covenant, which was true. It was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And as Jesus says, or I think it might be Paul, that God uh, preached the gospel to Abraham and when he said all, that through him all the nations will be blessed. I don't know exactly where that, that is, but they would see that the Abrahamic covenant is um, a covenant of grace, is the covenant of grace. And therefore, just as children were circumcised, um, on the eighth day, and were brought into the covenant community. Therefore, in the new covenant, it's a better covenant. Therefore, just like they were circumcised as infants, we're going to baptize them as infants as well. Um, 
But as I, as the catechism says here, we don't see any command nor example of that in the scriptures. Um, but we always see that faith is um, accompanied with those that are being baptized, faith and repentance. And so um, that is why we have the answer to this question. If you want to know more of that position, go to Ligonier and listen to the debate between John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul um, uh, to get an understanding of both the Believer's Baptist uh, Baptism um, position and infant baptism, Baptist, uh, sorry, infant Baptist position as well. And if you want resources, you can email me at jts at redeemerrockford.church. I could send you some more technical resources if you would like to look into that more. So that's question 102. That's why we do not baptize infants here at Redeemer Church, because we believe um, that there is no command or example in Holy Scriptures, and faith is always accompanied with those who uh, receive baptism. So then question 103, how is baptism rightly administered? Answer, baptism is rightly administered by immersion or dipping the whole body of the person in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, We see this as being pretty clear. The Ethiopian eunuch was obviously immersed in water um, in Acts 8.38. John 3.23 says, John also was baptizing um, because water was plentiful there and people were coming to him to be baptized. John 3.23 says that. And so, Um, immersion seems to be the standard of baptism in the early church. And I think it goes along theologically with what baptism is. I mean, it's not a sprinkling of judgment that we see in the flood. It's rain and the flood waters. It's think about the judgment waters in, um, when Israel was passing the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies are going through that and then the water covers, covers, destroys the enemy. Well, in the same way, when you are being baptized, it's a picture of you dying, your old self dying, being judged by the water with Christ, and then being raised in newness of life. And so that's why I think immersion is the best mode of baptism instead of sprinkling. Question 104, what is the duty of those who are rightly baptized? So those who are baptized, if you've been baptized, what is your duty? What is our duty? Answer, it is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give themselves to some visible and orderly church of Jesus Christ, that they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Man, I could spend a lot of time here, but this gets right at the heart of church membership. And so people will always say, look, I'm part of the church universal, like I'm a believer, but I don't need to join a local church. But what we see here is that the duty of those that are rightly baptized are is to give themselves um, to some visible, orderly church, a local church. Why? That they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. What are some of those commandments? Hebrews 10, 25. Um, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Romans 16, 5. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Apanitus who is the first convert in the church of Asia. There's an assumption there that people are that belong to the church in Rome. In 1 Peter 2, 5, uh, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 46 says, And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so 
there this this gets to the heart that when someone is baptized, that is technically synonymous with membership. You are saying, you are making a profession of faith. I am one of you, and therefore you have then obligations and responsibilities as a church member, as a member of a local church of the elders who baptize you, um, and as a Christian. You're, and some of those commands are to submit to leaders. We have commands in Scripture in Matthew 18 where the church is given the power to church discipline. Well, if they don't know their members, who are they to church discipline? And so for those that say, yeah, I don't need church discipline, I don't need to belong or commit to a church, it makes no sense for you to be committed to the head, which is Jesus Christ, but not to the body, not to his bride. That, that does not please the Lord at all. Acts 9.26 says, here's another example of there being a local church where the, the people in um, Acts 9's context were committed to. And when they had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and, and they were all afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. That was after uh, Saul, Paul, was saved. Um, and so they went to Jerusalem. They attempted to join the disciples, the church there, but they were afraid of him. So question 105 then, what is the visible church? What is the visible church? Answer, the visible church is the organized society of professing believers in all ages and places wherein the gospel is truly preached and the ordinances of the baptism and the Lord's Supper are administered in the true faith. That is what the visible church is is acts 242 what were they like what was the trade what were some trademarks of the early christian church it says and they the converts devoted themselves to the apostles teaching that's the preaching of the word the fellowship the meeting together and the breaking of bread that's the lord's supper and prayer i mean we see so many examples of this acts 27 on the first day of the week that's a sunday the lord's day when we were gathered together to break bread that is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day as he prolonged his speech until midnight. And so we see that there was a gathering, a specific gathering uh, of all age, professing believers in all ages and places wherein the gospel is truly preached and the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper are administered. Ephesians 4.11, And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to the church. Verse 12, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up the body of Christ. So that's what the visible church is. It's the organized society of professing believers. So question 106 then says, what is the invisible church? Answer, the invisible church is the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head. Ephesians 1.10 says, As a plan for the fullness of time, God's plan is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. John 10.16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So the invisible church, we don't see it. I don't know what who the believers are in China and other countries, but the invisible church is the whole number of God's elect that have been and are or shall be gathered into, into one under Christ, the head. So when you are baptized, you are, the duty of those being baptized is to join a visible, orderly church. Yes, you belong to the invisible church. You're one of God's elect. You're, Christ is the head. You belong to the universal church. 
um, but you are commanded to join a visible, local, organized church that practices the preaching of God's Word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. And where those things are not happening, where the preaching of God's Word is not happening, where the rightful administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are not happening, then you do not have a church. You don't have a church. Um, You have some Bible study. And so it is God's command for you to join a church, to commit to a church. Um, And if you're committed to the head, which is Christ, you're going to be committed to his bride. Well, thanks so much for listening to this longer episode as we walk through the Baptist Catechism uh, on on baptism. And so I hope that this was enjoyable for you, informative for you. If you have any questions, you could email me, jts at redeemerrockford.church. And if you want to find out any more information about our church, you can go to redeemerrockford.church and come on a Sunday, come on a Wednesday, um, come on a, on, a, on a Thursday night if you're a college student. We'd love to see you, but I hope this episode was edifying to you, informative, and encouraging to your soul. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Happy New Year.